0: Hi, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where a father and son sit down and talk about fantasy in many of its mediums. I'm the son in this
1: equation, Zach, and I would be the father, Jim, and it's great to have you with us again here today. Uh, Should we perhaps clarify when you say we talk about fantasy in all of its various venues, we're talking about fantasy fiction, because there are other kinds of fantasies that go different directions that is not what this podcast is about. I mean, I guess. (laughs) All right. Very good. Maybe it was just my generation feels the need for such clarification, and you youngins are all good with it.
0: I I felt pretty fair that I I wasn't going to go down that road with my dad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, how are you today? How have you been?
0: I'm doing okay. Could be better. As uh, you all maybe can tell, I have a little bit of a cold right now that I'm getting over. I sound a little funky and my nose doesn't really like me. But on the bright side, I know it's not that whole COVID thing, because I also had to, while having a cold, get a COVID test for um,
1: part of my clinicals. I'm negative. Woo! But still sick. Bummer. Yeah. Because Zach is a little under the weather, he does live with me, still in the same house, but I decided, you know, maybe spending an hour, hour and a half in the same small room where we do our recordings might not be a good idea at this point. Not afraid to be in the same house, but in a confined space, I don't wanna catch his cold. So we're actually doing something differently for the first time with this recording. He's up in his room. The game room where he does all of his DMing and various gaming adventures and such. On his spanking new microphone system, which is very cool. Gonna work. And I'm down in the regular space we use, my office. We're in two different rooms. We can see each other over Zoom. And we're recording separately. And I'll still have both of those to be able to drop together into our podcast for editing purposes. The tech is a little different. I can still see him pretty much just as close as I usually do. You're a little smaller, but I, I think I'll deal with it. I could use to be a little smaller. Hmm. Yeah. That's why I do all that exercise and all that pizza. Right. Oh, no. The pizza is counterproductive. Okay. Nah, nah, wait. nah. I'm pretty sure it, it makes you smaller. Uh, ah, yeah. yeah. If so, I would be tiny, man. <clears throat> tiny. You want to know how I'm
0: doing? Absolutely. I'm sorry, am I I being rude and not
1: asking? How are you doing, Dad? I am doing great. I don't have a cold. And we'll hope I don't catch one, because I just got back from my uh, first road trip, business trip of the pandemic. Everything went well. I think I stayed sufficiently socially distanced and wore a mask enough to have sore ears, which I'm sure many of our listeners are actually familiar with, but I haven't had to travel much, so that's a new one for me, believe it or not.
0: No, I, I'm familiar with it because I don't work at home right. like you do.
1: Yeah. A couple of items to discuss before we move into today's content. Uh, we will be going into chapters 10 through 13 of The Eye of the World. Great stuff again. Looking forward to our discussions on it. I wanted to touch on a few things. First, Zach, did you realize how much our audience is growing? Well, we now have listeners across the U.S., Washington to Florida, New York to California, Indiana to Texas. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and we appreciate all of you in the U.S. as listeners. We can track the stats on these on our hosting site. So I know we have the most listeners who play it on our website or some other embedded player in Oregon. So people relatively local to us. However, more people download it and listen to it on their podcast, Player of Choice. Actually, that's how I listen to podcasts. And mm-hmm. the state winning that is Texas. They are clobbering the rest of the U.S. So, Texas, we love you. Keep it up. Keep spreading the word. That's very Everywhere cool. else, we love you, too. We love the rest of the states. All of you, please do not feel slighted. <laughs> but we've also gone very international, and that keeps growing. Have we? We have. So shout outs to our international listeners in the UK, France, Germany, Russia, Switzerland, Australia, Canada, the Netherlands, and we remain for over a week now one of the top fiction podcasts in Norway. Dang. Way to go, Norwegian listeners. Whoop whoop. They may not don't, make that I don't know boop boop whether to be more Sorry. impressed
0: with uh, you guys, the
1: Norwegian listeners, or no, I'm just impressed with you guys, not us. We're glad you guys are checking up and and continuing to follow us, and we promise not to disappoint. We'd also love to hear from you. So any of you in the U.S. or international listeners, you want to share ideas you have, things you were excited about, something you enjoyed in the podcast, let us know. All of our usual social media locations, which of course are always listed in the notes for our podcasts. But remember, you can always just shoot us a direct email, fantasyfortheages at gmail.com. The other item uh, is yes. to prep everyone for the special podcast episode we'll have coming up soon. We talked about it last week, how we're going to intersperse occasional podcasts, that divert from our direct working through fantasy fiction series, and just jump into other topics and fun things that we love about fantasy fiction. And we've got one of those coming up. Our next episode will be specifically focusing on discussing and debating over the greatest, biggest, baddest fantasy or sci-fi villain, bad guy, the entity who would rule them all. Yeah, it'll be a little
0: bit of a battle of the baddies, but more in a philosophical sense. Yes,
1: we look forward to a spirited discussion on the merits, the strengths, the approaches of all these different nasty villains. And I will not hesitate to say that some of them made me bored. (laughs) We will be limited a little bit by what we know. There's so much out there and we have not read it all. I already, at this point, rue the fact that I probably have more books and more things on my reading list than I can ever get to before I die. There's just too much out there. But we've cast a pretty broad net already, and we're going to use what we know to put some things together out there. I also put this out on uh, social media, and we have a few suggestions that we've added to the list that we've gotten from you, our fans. Watch for that. That's going to drop, actually, as a midweek episode. So you can continue to count on our regular Sunday podcasts, plowing through Eye of the World, and then moving on into the rest of the Wheel of Time series before we then shift to another book or book series. But the occasional midweek episode will come your way with something a little different. So don't
0: worry, if you're just here for the uh, Wheel of Time content and that's what you want, you'll still get it
1: on time as normal. That's right. So speaking of the Wheel of Time content, let's get into it. Today, we're going through the action of the next four chapters of The Eye of the World, chapters 10 through 13, as our characters fleeing from Field with the general plan of reaching Tarvalon, and the safety of the Aes Sedai. I'm sorry, what was the name of that city again? Did I say it wrong? I did Uh say it wrong again, didn't I? Well, Uh I said it right for me. Tarvalon, man, it totally looks like Tarvalon. And I just finished the audiobook of The Eye of the World. I just finished that today. When they say Tarvalon? And they say Tarvalon every time. But Tarvalon, it just sounds more elegant.
0: We'll agree to disagree. (laughs) And I think on this one, at least... I have most of the fandom on my side.
1: But you know, if Michael Kramer and Kate Redding in the audiobooks had said Tar Valon, this would be a totally different story. They have so much power! <sighs> That's okay. I'm willing to give them that power. <laughs> okay. Well, as Chapter 10 opens, Lan, the warder, is leading Matt and Rand into the stable yard of the Winespring Inn, going out the back way in the dark of night to meet up with Perrin and Moraine and get out of Dodge. hmm They're trying to do this quickly and quietly before more Trollocs and Miradrill can show up. And, of course, they're hoping that as few eyes as possible will notice them leaving.
0: Kind of two reasons there. One, the uh, hope that no one could necessarily report or try to follow, but also no one could try and keep them from leaving in the first place. It's not a place that people typically just leave
1: from. So if people did see this, it'd be weird. Mm Mm-hmm. And even along those lines of people not wanting them to leave, you know, and discouraging that, Moraine had given directions, instructions, that they were not to tell anyone they were leaving. Matt and Perrin, they left notes. They've snuck away, and there are notes that should be found in the morning explaining where they've gone, but that will be once they're already well, well out of there. Meanwhile, Rand was a butt and talked to Tam. He told his dad. The three boys... You know they've been best friends since childhood. They're meeting up together now, preparing to leave, and they, you know, chit chat a little bit. So it comes out that Rand told his dad. They're like, mm-hmm. "Why? You weren't supposed to tell anybody." They're surprised, and Moraine comes along, catches up with them when they're having this conversation. She also appears to be rather surprised that Rand told his dad. But what's done is done, and as we talked about last episode, and for what it counts, Rand's dad Tam says, yeah, yeah, go. Exactly, yeah. We covered that last time. He's he's supportive. So, let's go. They're hustling up to get going before anyone else knows that they're going. But that doesn't work out that way. What happens? No, it does not. They, um, well, they get spotted, partially because... They don't even make it out of the stable yard before getting no. spotted.
0: Um, whether because she was eavesdropping at one point, or just because had a sense that it felt right. Egwene is there, ready to go, The boys are more or less just kind of getting their stuff going, don't really get their stuff, more just what's with them.
1: Egwene's got a pack all made up. She shows up ready for a trip. Egwene, she's got visions of what she wants for her life, and just staying in Emmons Field and leading the boring small-town life, that is not for her. She wants to see the world. She figures out, just by seeing how Matt and Perrin had been acting over the course of the day, Kind of sneaking around, getting things ready. She just figures out, there's something going on. They're leaving. I gotta get with this.
0: And so bringing that Two Rivers bullheadedness, she butts her way in and says, you're not going without me.
1: That's right, just shows up, bam. And okay, wow, they don't want her to go with, but Moraine basically gives it her blessing. Okay, so Egwene's coming with. But the next thing we know, we discover Tom Marilyn wants to come too. It's because kind of apparently, funny. Apparently, he's sleeping up in the hay. Apparently.
0: Yeah. Apparently.
1: It, it's funny how they figure it out The Tom's coming too because they don't have a horse for Egwene. So, well, let's just take the Gleeman's horse and Land's like, I'll leave some money for him to be able to buy another horse. And that's where Tom from up in the hayloft. Uh, you can't take my horse because I'm going to use that. I'm coming with. <sighs> so they need another horse. Yeah. By the way, Perrin gets a little in the doghouse for that because he apparently had the job to make sure no one saw them in the stable and, oops, didn't check the hayloft. Whoops. So, yes, they do need another horse. Rand contributes. Bella! Most important character. Yeah, the horse that, uh, you know, their horse that had made it there in the midst of winter night and is waiting in the stable. A little smaller than all the other horses, but good and sturdy. Hey, she's a hard worker. Don't diss her. That's right. This party now... Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Before anyone else shows up. Mm-hmm. One last thing of note occurs as they're finally getting out of town. As they're okay. riding away, they notice up in the sky something, something flying. It looks it's a like bird. a bird. It's a plane. <laughs> it's Superman. Not Superman. Wrong fantasy oh. genre. Oops. Lan and Moraine identify what it is. It's a drakkar. That's how I say it. Would you say it that way?
0: No, I don't pronounce the G.
1: So how do you pronounce it? Drakar. Really? It's Uh a G and an H. You leave those silent, huh? Yeah.
0: Uh, In the same way that you, like, don't necessarily say it so much and, like, laugh. You just kind of, like, close off.
1: Well, tell us about a drakar, Zach. Okay, so I'm going to
0: start by telling you my horribly inaccurate vision of a Drakkar when I first was reading this book. Okay. Because I know for a fact how wrong it is. And I don't care. I think it is cooler this way.
1: (laughs) And we do. We cling to our fantasy thoughts and perspectives, even when we prove wrong later. So my inaccurate thought process is more or less a
0: man-sized mosquito with bat wings (laughs) that has a massive pair of these like ruby red, almost those like wax lips at the end. So it has that massive proboscis and then disgustingly big red lips.
1: Yeah, I know
0: that that's nothing like what it actually looks like. (laughs) But that's what my brain said. All right. In truth, this is loosely...
1: A guy with wings. Yeah, it's where, theoretically,
0: uh, on another turn of the wheel, you get vampires.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so.
0: It makes me think a lot like the depiction in, what was it, 2003 movie, Van
1: Helsing? I don't remember if that was the year, but yeah, that's a good comparison.
0: Where it's almost seamless between wings and clothing, and I believe the depiction often says when they're uh, wrapped around themselves rather than in flight, the wings are almost indistinguishable from Mm -hmm. a dark cloak.
1: Alright, so knowing now that not only Myrdril and Trollocs are after them, but there's a Drakkar up there. They, we gotta go. So they increase to a gallop, heading for Terran Ferry. They gotta get out of the two rivers. This is a bit of a journey, and it's dark of night, but let's go. And that's where the chapter ends. We start chapter 11. They're galloping still all out along the north road. They're pushing their horses hard. And Rand is worried, because you've got these big, strong horses, and then you've got Bella. Bella's a cart horse, used to slowly plodding back and forth between town and the farmstead. She's not a galloper. She's not a, a horse built for distance and going all out. And Rand's afraid Egwene's going to fall behind, because Bella won't be able to keep up.
0: Don't get me wrong, she's made for distance, just distance at a snail's pace, rather than a gallop. And when it comes to horses, as I understand them, there's almost a, not almost, there is, is a physiologic, physiological That's the physiological word. difference in their muscle and bone structure between types of horses, especially in like the knees, as to whether they can gallop at that pace or not.
1: Well, we don't know what Bella's bone structure happened to be. We don't. But we do know that despite Rand's concern, she's keeping pace. She is keeping up. You go, Bella. After some time, they do see lights ahead, and Rand is surprised. They're already to the next village. I get the impression the boys, at least Rand perhaps at least, has been to this village before. Watch Hill.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think all of them have been, at least the three boys, to the various towns in the Two Rivers. And while they may not ever have stepped outside of the Two Rivers, they've stepped on basically every stone inside
1: Mm. of it. So, again, a reminder of our geography. If they'd gone the other direction from Emmons Field, they could have got to Devon's Ride. The direction they went, you go through Watch Hill, and then you'll reach Terran Ferry. Those are the four towns within um, the two rivers. That's my understanding. Zach is consulting um, his map.
0: uh, Yeah, I'm just looking in the map because for whatever reason, my brain says it's Devon Ride, not Devon's
1: Ride. And I'm correct. Oh, just Devon Ride. Sorry, Devon. It's not your ride. I misappropriated it for you, and you may not have it. It's just Devon Ride. Okay. They've been to Watch Hill before. They know how far Watch Hill is from Emmons Field, so they're quite surprised to be there already. Rand is like, I think we just set a record for how fast anybody can get to Watch Hill. I'm gonna say he's also judging the time a bit skewed because... This is a, a flight in terror, in a sense. They have Myrdrill Trollocs and a dra'car up in the air above them. They are terrified they're going to get caught. And I think that skews your, your perception of time.
0: Yeah, we have no good way of knowing how long this really takes, only that it's probably under six or eight hours because they go from dead of night to still dead of night.
1: It's still middle of night, yeah. We don't know if it's middle, but yeah, it's still dead of night. We'll use your term. That was good. There's no hint of dawn starting to break, not at all exactly. They're pretty wiped out having got this far and the horses they've you know Bella kept up, but still all the horses are you know little little winded. It would be good to rest. They're hearing noises from the town where it looks like that there's still celebrations going on from winter night. Which officially would be this day. If you remember, when we started this story that Rand and his dad had came into town, it was the day before winter night. So, no,
0: it was the day before Beltine. That night was winter night. So this would be Beltine uh, you're Day. Right. I'm
1: totally misbabbling babbling about it's the It's okay, terms. that's why
0: I'm here for you, to yes. correct
1: you. It was the day before Beltine, so this has been Beltine. This is the yeah. evening of Beltine. And the celebration of Bell Time's going on. So we we could construe this isn't like two in the morning. This is still just evening. The town's alive with energy and their sound. And they're like, hey, we they clearly weren't attacked. They're having their big festival and all. Maybe we should stop and rest here. The boys are interested in that. Egwene's interested in that. Tom Marilyn's interested. But Lan is like, nope, we gotta go. Moraine's like, mm-mm, there's more to go. So while Lan is insisting we have no rest until we get out of the two rivers, we got to get gone. Moraine, she walks around from horse to horse and person to person, and she does something with the one power. What does she do?
0: Oh, you're asking me. I am. Um,
1: (laughs) If we were in the same room, you would have seen the gesture better.
0: She goes, and it's not so much actually refreshing them or giving them more energy, but rather washing their fatigue away.
1: She's using the one power on everybody, right?
0: Yes, and it masks the fatigue. They're still technically tired and going to need rest at some point, but they can push on as if they weren't.
1: Yep, so suddenly they feel better. As she's doing this, she actually voices surprise that when she gets to Bella, our smallest horse... She doesn't even need it! Yeah, she's barely winded. She seems to be the most refreshed of the bunch. So she kind of comments, well, Rand, you were right, this horse of yours is something. (laughs) <laughs> that's all taken care of. They've just kind of been refreshed by Moraine. She can't refresh herself.
0: That's one of the limitations of the one power right, that, we learned that you cannot
1: heal yourself. use
0: it on yourself. You, you could theoretically impact things around you and cause some effects that look like they're on yourself, but you can't directly use the weaves on yourself.
1: I think that's a good description. I mean, we will learn later on that you can do things that actually change how people perceive you, for example, but you haven't physically changed yourself, right? It has
0: more to do with messing with, say, the air right on your skin or something.
1: Right, right. Healing, healing yourself, can't do it. And this is kind of similar to healing because you're healing the exhaustion. You're wiping that away for now. She also doesn't do anything to Lan, and it's referenced. Lan as a warder has that's one of the benefits of being an isidized warder. He has a bounteous amount. Is that a word bounteous? I might have made that word up. But he I has I think
0: the actual word is bountiful.
1: Yeah, but there's something else that's t s. Boundless? Um, I don't know. He, how about copious? Copious is a good word. Sure, is that'll that? work. There's a copious amount of energy and reserves. So he's not sufficiently tired yet. She doesn't have no. to spend any of her energy on him. That's all taken over and, and it's explained we have to go on when they hear. Not only hear, they get an encounter with the drakar. Swoops on them. Does a dive bomb attack. No one's hurt. I mean, the horses startle. Rand gets halfway flung out of the horse and he's like dangling by one of his stirrups. But nobody's hurt. But Moraine notes okay, for the Drakkar to be that bold, th- they're basically kind of stupid and-, and they don't have a lot of strong weapons about themselves. So it wouldn't this- do that
0: if it was alone.
1: Yeah, this means the Miradol and Trollocs are close. Uh, That's the only reason the Drakkar would reveal itself so closely. So we gotta go. We gotta go now. We gotta go quicker. And off they go. No stopping at this town. I checked the map just a moment ago. Watch Hill is not about Not Watches half- Hill, by the way. Yes, since, you know we've clear. It's not Devon's Ride. It's not Watches Hill either. It's Watch Hill.
0: Watch Hill is about halfway between Emmonsfield and Terran Ferry, which is where they will be exiting. The so two they rivers.
1: have to you're saying, get another distance about as much as what they've already put behind them. Okay, they yes. got to get to Terrence Ferry. But if they're able to maintain a similar kind of speed, that means they should be able to make it before dawn, if you think about Theoretically, it. Theoretically. Yeah, they um, left when it was dark, and now they're here, and they're still celebrating bell time. They're all still awake. So it's clearly not halfway through the night already, unless these yeah. two rivers people party hard all night long. I mean, we don't know... The nerd in me wanted to find,
0: like, a unit of measurement on the map and try and calculate (laughs) horse speed. And then I went, Robert Jordan didn't put units of measurement on his maps.
1: There are units of measurement in the Wheel of Time, and they are different from ours, but you're right. It's not on the map.
0: And it's partially intentional so that we don't have to question it when someone gets somewhere really fast or really slow, or we just go, it's a map. There's a distance.
1: Uh, there's a, a quick little interchange between Lan and Moraine. We don't know exactly what they're talking about, but she basically makes a comment making clear she can't really do anything about the car, As they are going their way, riding horses as fast as they can, she really can't do anything to stop it.
0: Which really makes sense when we think it's the same morning, or it's the same day, night of that morning that we saw earlier. Moraine's been busy. She killed a whole bunch of Trollocs. She healed a whole bunch of people, including the really extensive healing on Tam. Still up and doing things, leaving the place,
1: now washing this fatigue away. She is dead tired. But she is able to do something, and the Emmons Field folk don't realize what she's done at first, but they catch on pretty quick. As they continue plowing forward, galloping for all they're worth, they start experiencing some fog. Some really thick, dense fog, just some wisps of it at first, and then gets thicker and thicker, and before you know it, they're, they're riding through pea soup. And the Drakkar, there's no way you can see them anymore. And they come to realize, you know, wait a second, it's way too cold to have fog like this. Fog comes with humidity, and you need some warmth. This, this makes no sense. Nah. We learn Moraine did this. She's used the one power to mask their presence. Stuff doesn't need to make sense when you have an Aes eye. Yeah, Lan comments, you know, uh, Fog, it's not going to do much good. There's only one place we can go. <laughs> there, there's nowhere else. It's Terran Ferry. It's kind of obvious. But Moraine indicates, I have a plan about that. Nothing more said yet. Next thing we know, they're pulling up to Terran Ferry. They that was fast. It. Yeah, still, it's middle of the night. They trot up to one particular house and Lamb, bam, bam, bam. He pounds his fist. Long, loud, until finally someone comes to the door. It's the ferryman. We meet Master Hightower. How convenient. Land notes that they wish to cross the river. Now, it's middle of the night. It's At not... this
0: point, it probably is closer to the whole two, three in the
1: morning. I'd thing. go with that, yeah. And not surprisingly, therefore, Master is like, um... Okay, I'll come back in the morning.
0: It was bell time. Master Hightower is probably somewhere between drunk and hungover.
1: At least they're all a little snookered. Totally. But Lan says, no, we we need to cross the river now. This is the time. Gets out his coin purse and starts counting out gold coins until Hightower's eyes start bulging at how much money he's pulled out. And then Lan says, this again when we get to the other side of the river. Whoa! Because... I'll
0: be honest here, one of those gold coins probably would have been enough to make his eyes start to bulge. And he kept going.
1: Yeah, he's clearly overpaying. He's doing what he has to do. And it makes me think, holy cow, how much money do the Aes Sedai have? A lot. Is there something with the one power where they can create money?
0: (laughs) I, I suspect that rather than, say, a tax system, per se... They have a system of, we advise royalty, and they pay homage to the White Tower. It's not quite a mafia bullying thing.
1: I have two other possibilities. Okay. One, one use of the one power is alchemy. They are converting lead into gold. Booyah.
0: I don't think so. It could be. I mean, we do see kind of some alchemy-related things when uh, they rediscover how to... I'm not going to try butchering the name when I'm not practicing it.
1: Let's not do too much spoilers. But yes, we've seen them create new metals, new substances out of other substances. So we know the transmuting of one substance into another is possible. Kind of. Maybe. That could be. But a second option. We know they live a long time. Aes They have, sure. an, a, because of their touch to the one power, they have an extended lifetime. We also know that some of them have the gift of foretelling. Perhaps the pattern provides an answer by someone foretells what the market in Andor will do in regard to wheat on a given year. And so they hedge and put in the money against it and boom, make a killing. And because they live so long, they can pull that off again and again. You know, I
0: think that's funny. I don't (laughs) think it's accurate.
1: I'm trying. Come on. Because Jordan does not actually ever address this. No. You can say but there's like does... a tax and people give, but so much of the world doesn't trust Aes Sedai and even call them witches. Why would they be giving them taxes?
0: But so much of the royal world does. They serve in many, many courts.
1: But in most of those courts, they serve surreptitiously and it's not known. So it's kept on the down low. In Andor you've got a, a recognized Aes Sedai advisor. But that's the only of the major... Nope. Uh-huh. Oh, that's the only well, one of the major ones on where there is an major. official Aes Sedai advisor. Pretty much all the other main leaders have Aes Sedai advising them, but it's, it's an unofficial, it's just, this is the person around who helps me out. Man has an official. Again, it's tiny. Yeah. But
0: it does. Tier um, doesn't think...
1: have anyone. No. They hate Aes Sedai.
0: But a number of the border nations do as well. Oh,
1: they have a lot of respect for the Aes Sedai. That's true. They would be willing to pay taxes. Exactly. We'll now, see that to that respect. extent, the
0: Green Aja should be doing more. But that's a totally yeah. different issue we can talk about later.
1: We'll, we'll see about the borderlands later in the book, for sure. We kind of went down a tangent there. Let's get back on track here now. The money has been paid and more has been offered. Hightower has agreed. And now he's going to go wake his workers. Cause he doesn't actually it's not like you turn on the motor and take the ferry across the river.
0: No, this is uh loosely boards on top of barrels and people use big sticks to carry it across or pull on a rope.
1: I kinda uh, it, pictured it as ropes. So they're they're pulling on the ropes to get him across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: largely I'd say Hightower's job is mostly to yell at the other people.
1: Yeah, he's management. He's totally management. He owns it, but that's about it. So the chapter ends, Hightower is going to go go get his people and Lan and the group, they'll meet him down at the ferry, at the, at the ferry, not, the word I want is the ferry landing. Dock. The dock. Okay. So chapter 12 sees them down there waiting for Hightower and his men. Moraine indicates Lan should take the lead on dealing with Hightower and his men. She seems to want to stay out of the main focus. This again is similar to what took place in Emmons field. We don't want people to know more than necessary. And the implication is the forces of the Dark One could learn information from these people. So let's not give them more to remember than necessary. But then Land is something that's kind of interesting here. And I chuckled about it when I read it. Mm -hmm. He gets the boys to look tough. Do you remember that?
0: Well, look tough. You guys can't see it, but I'm doing air quotes. (laughs) these are three country boys. They're sturdy looking, but they don't look threatening.
1: So Lan has, you know, Lan is doing it. He's standing there looking casual, but with his sword clearly visible and his hand resting on the pommel like he could draw it in a moment. Rand duplicates the action with his heron marked blade, though I doubt they could notice that in the dark. But it's clearly a sword, very similar to Lan's. Looks like he's ready to use it. Perrin's got that big battle axe with him and he he loosens it in its holder, different term used for it, but so clearly he looks ready and he's like, positioned, like I could go man, I could go. And Matt, well he's the guy with the bow, so he's got his hand on his quiver, like he could draw an arrow at any moment. And
0: I'd say at the very least, he's
1: strung his bow. It's not sitting there completely just loose. But so he wants them to look like don't mess with us or we'll mess with you bad. You and, try to rob us and we'll just kill you. And uh Tom Marilyn the gleeman gets into the act by getting out a dagger and playing with it, kind of rolling it around his knuckles and dancing it with it on his hands, you know, and just it's a very looks... cool skill that I'd
0: love to learn one day oh, if yes. it weren't like horribly dangerous.
1: But it makes it clear without being intentionally threatening that this guy's good with a dagger. He knows what he's doing. Well, Tom's just good with his hands. And again, the, the, what we come to understand is simply that we want to make sure when Master Hightower shows up with his tufts, with his men who are haulers. So these are going to be muscular guys who do manual labor all day long hauling the ferry that there's no weird thoughts of, you know, we don't really have to take them across. These guys got a lot of gold. Let's just take the gold. There's no saying Hightower would have pulled a fast one like that, but let's not take but, any chances. he probably would have. Well, Rand, Matt, and Perrin, I suppose Egwene too, they all know that the people of Terrence Ferry have a reputation. You know, if mm-hmm. you shake hands with a ferryman, check your wallet afterwards, make sure it's still there.
0: Now, is that entirely fair But stereotypes sometimes come from somewhere, at least initially.
1: There's often a kernel of truth hidden in there.
0: And while it may be horribly exaggerated and out of place to make it as a generalization, in this specific case, it's better to be safe than sorry.
1: I, I would kind of agree with you in the sense that we don't know how true it is, but the people of the two rivers... They tend to be very good, salt-of-the-earth country folk. And then you've got the people, Terran Ferry, who aren't quite like everybody else. These aren't farmers. These are people who make their money off of trade, and primarily also their control of the trade that happens in the two rivers. No one gets in or out of the two rivers unless they go through Terran Ferry, and they use the ferry, and there's a cost for that. So they don't have to raise crops; they don't have to work hard; they get to make their money off of other people,
0: yeah, to me, these are slimy, bureaucratic country <laughs> folk
1: and that's probably how the two rivers folk look at them. You don't really work for your living; you make your living off of other people that's not cool and the two river- uh, the Terran ferry people have a reputation for looking down their nose at those farmers who have to work so hard all the time. Like, we're better than them. We figured out a better way of living.
0: Yeah, why would I work all day when I could just
1: every now and then charge someone some money and get it? So if you think about it, the two different groups, the Terran Ferry Folk and the rest of the two rivers, are doing exactly the same thing to each other. Mm -hmm. They're judging each other, saying, we've got the better way. Nevertheless, the book tends to paint Master Hightower and his folks as a little more shady. The looking big and tough works. They get on the ferry without any issues. Sweet. And they get pulled to the other side. Mm Mm-hmm. They all get off. And then Moraine pulls a fast one. Something somewhat controversial. A little bit. With all the passengers off the ferry, Hightower demands his payment. Okay, where's the rest rest of my money? And Moraine calls out, saying, It's here, and on top of that, I have a silver mark for each of your men for their quick work.
0: So all of the men decide, oh, well, we're not going to let Hightower get his hands on that, because if that were the case, we're not seeing it. So they rush to go get it.
1: So they, yep, they all get off the ferry and go to get their coins, and, well, Master Hightower comes to get the rest of the money, too. So they're all on shore with land, and he's doling out coins to everybody. Moraine's just standing there staring out at the river, and suddenly a whirlpool appears in the river that grabs the ferry, sucks it in. There's no one there to hold the ferry in place because they're all on shore, and it gets sucked in and destroyed.
0: Oh no, a freak disaster.
1: How could anyone have seen this coming? Land just takes it in stride, so does Moraine. Oh, how unfortunate. <coughs> and Land's like, here. Let me me give you more coins to make up for your loss. No one ever says it, but Rand for sure and pretty much the rest of the group are like, um, I think she did that.
0: Yeah.
1: Strategically, great move. Ethically, Moraine, what's up? And basically, you know, it comes out that we've got to cross the river. We don't want to make it easier for the Merdrel and Trollocs to get across the river. So we're going to destroy the only route across the river and they will have to work something else out before they can follow us.
0: Remind me if I'm wrong, I may simply be mixing this up with another series, but they mentioned at some point here that shadowspawn don't like crossing water, especially moving water. Is that accurate?
1: I think that is said somewhere. Yes, they won't do it. It's a very it.
0: common evil or undead yeah. kind of thing. They
1: won't do it unless but... they have they are driven to. And, and they definitely have a great need.
0: Mm-hmm. They'll do bridges, but they're not going to rush over water itself or yeah. take boats too much. So, so make if it you're harder on an island,
1: them, that's going to be effective.
0: One of the interesting things there that I kind of go is placing, say, Tarvalin on an island. Good idea.
1: Ah, oh, I hadn't thought of that before. Although there are bridges all over the place. so Sure. Could always blow the bridges.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And at the very least, it bottlenecks. So, with this business done, the ferry's gone, it's time to head off again. Moraine, at this point, admires her fog, and there's comments now. The fog, it's amazing. There's no fog at all looking down the road, but as you look up and down the river, there's thick, dense fog hugging the riverbank in both directions as far as they can see. It's clear Moraine has done this. She's quite happy with herself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Tom questions this. He's like, why doesn't the fog continue the path we're going, though? We're going to be totally out in the open. And she explains, well, Drakkar aren't very smart. So this will confuse the Mirdril and Trollocs following them, because the Drakar is going to report, okay, the fog is covering the banks both directions. I'm not sure which way they went. It doesn't go anywhere up the path, so I don't think they went that way. They're hiding in the fog, but I can't tell if it's to this direction or that direction. And the Mirdril's going to have to divide their forces and search to find where they went.
0: Could they watch carefully and see them outside the fog? Absolutely. But by leaving it, you create a massive red herring.
1: All right, so we've got this fog laid out beautifully. And because of that, and now that it's going to be harder for the forces of darkness to get across the river, they're going to go ahead and, and rest finally. They are led by land to a hidden place amongst the trees. So maybe the Drakar searching can still see there's no fog over there, but it won't see them either because they're going into this little grove a thicket that's all really enclosed, and they find out, you know, Lan had this ready for them, which is kind of cool. He basically anticipated they might end up needing a place to hide. And we learn here that when they get there, Moraine goes around and, and you know, wipes away all the exhaustion again. And this is where it's commented that, you know, why why do we have to rest? We feel great mm-hmm. now. It's like, well, you don't really feel great. Exactly. It's like you said before. It's just wiped away the fatigue, but you're still exhausted.
0: Your body's still tired. You just don't
1: feel it. Yep. In essence, you could keep going and going and going, and eventually you would drop dead from exhaustion. Mm-hmm. But you'd still feel great <laughs> until that moment. And because of this, we'll actually have to slow our pace down in the coming days to let ourselves recover from how hard we've pushed ourselves. But still, with the help of the one power, there's no point feeling so miserable. So while the boys are learning about that from Lan, because they're all going to take care of the horses, get them ready for the night, Moraine and Egwene, they've gone inside this enclosure area. Rand is the first one to follow inside, and he overcome... overcomes the wrong word. He comes upon (laughs) the ladies talking about the One Power. And here we as readers get to learn for the first time with clarity about the true source, where the One Power is drawn from, and that it has two halves, the male half, Sidene, and the female female half, Sidar. Woohoo! Sidene has been tainted by the Dark One, so men, who are the ones who use Sidene, can no longer channel the One Power without eventually going mad and dying.
0: However, Sidar, it's still safe to use as long as you have two X chromosomes.
1: Yes. Women have no risk of getting tainted by Sidar. It's clean.
0: It has its own risks, but not in the sense of evil taint.
1: Speaking to those risks, we learn that many women can learn to touch the true source and channel the One Power. But a few rare women will simply, by natural instinct and and the fortune of birth, will touch the source and and channel the one power with no training at all. And that that's very dangerous. If you don't have the proper training and you're touching the true source, you may actually end up killing yourself. You know, it, it just, the power will do such damage to you that you can die from it.
0: In some ways, you are quite literally playing with fire.
1: Yes, and you don't even know it. But we also learn from Moraine that when those people are discovered and then are properly trained, they usually go on to be the most powerful of the Aes Sedai, the ones who had that natural ability, not just they learned how to do it.
0: Which is really not a crazy thing if we think about it in any other skill or ability Those who have natural, raw talent and then really train their skill up, those are the people who are going to be exceedingly great in their field.
1: Now we also learned something that's related to this with men. There are men out there who could learn how to touch the true source and use the one power, but they aren't really in any danger because no one's going around teaching men to do this anymore.
0: So as long as you're not one of these rare few that naturally touches it, you could be a man who can
1: channel and be fine. Exactly. But as you notes, then, men are just like women. Some of them are born with a natural connection to the source. They're the ones that are a danger because they will start using the one power without even thinking about it and will eventually therefore go insane, do a lot of damage, and die. And so we learn there is a segment of the to Sedai dedicated to preventing that. Well, and
0: the men here are faced with a double danger. Moraine tells Egwene with women, those who touch it naturally need training, or they're going to touch it and possibly hurt themselves or those around them by not knowing what they're doing. Men aren't going to get that training because they're destined to go mad and kill people or die but therefore they also have the risk of doing something out of their control at the same time. So it's really a volatile bomb exploding until eventually it doesn't explode anymore because it hit its critical mass.
1: We have heard previously that the Aes Sedai are grouped into different Ajas, and we haven't heard a lot about the Ajas yet. I pronounce it Aja, some say Aja, it's a J, it depends on how you go with the J. Aja or Aja. I don't know how you say it. I say
0: it with a harder J, but I think that's wrong.
1: Eh, It's interpretation, man. But we know the red Aja are the ones who, that's their main goal. Find these men who are channeling the power and gentle them. Meaning you're separating them from their ability to touch the source. Just like Loghain that we've heard about earlier, the false dragon, the red had gone after him. They need to gentle him.
0: Don't worry, they don't kill these people. No, no, they just take away their will to live.
1: Yep, if you are thriving and using the One Power and you no longer can do it, it's pretty much a death sentence. The chapter ends with one more, whoo! And that's that Moraine is doing a simple exercise with Egwene that proves she is one of those women who has that natural born-in ability to touch the true source and use the One Power. And Egwene's ecstatic. She's like, ah! You mean I can be an Aes Sedai? Woohoo!
0: And Rand is not quite so happy.
1: No, no, it's not good news to him. The last section for today, then, is chapter 13, which is called Choices. All right. After a good rest, the group continues their journey towards Tarvalon, which is still quite a distance. I'm sorry, what was that city? Ah, Tarvalon. Fine. Every time. Well, we're talking weeks of journey ahead of them still. They're crossing a continent. Yes, they are. Now that they have the two rivers behind, their next destination will be the town of Berylon, and they figure that should take maybe just under a week. And this chapter is an exposition dump. We just learn a lot of information as they are traveling over many days to get to Berylon. We spent
0: 12 chapters to get through two days slash nights, and the next chapter is about a week. (laughs) yeah.
1: It's a fairly uneventful ride. I mean, they don't get attacked. Nothing strange happens, but they are on high alert. It mentions Lan is traveling twice as much as everybody because he's constantly going ahead to scout where they're headed and then going back behind them to make sure no one's following. Repeat. Through this whole trip. It's classic rubber banding. Yep. They want to make sure they're not seen, so sometimes they go a little out of their way, like... There's not a lot out here, but they do come across an occasional farmstead, and they'll curve off the path to make sure they're not so close that anyone to the farm might notice them. And then they're always finding a place to shelter and hide each night, just before the sun sets, you know, while they can still see and find a good place, and then they hunker down. Because the nighttime, that's the dark one's time. You don't want to be out walking now, now that they don't have to. let's Let's be under shelter and hidden at night. They do have a few things that happen along the way. It's just not dangerous stuff. Yeah. Each evening, before it gets dark, when they've stopped for the day, Lan starts working with the three boys to see, okay, you've got weapons with you. Let's make sure you won't cut your foot off. Exactly.
0: Especially, I'd say, Rand gets a little bit more attention, if only because he's using a sword. Lan is a trained killer who can kill in any way (laughs) possible. He
1: doesn't even need a weapon.
0: But it is notable that he, partially as a warder and partially just him being him, carries a sword and is masterful at using it. So that's going to be what his biggest training would consist of, and then transferring that to other things. However, the boys don't really need a whole lot of help with
1: archery. Yeah, Matt seems pretty good with the archery too. He's the one who's, that's his weapon. That's all he's got with him really, the bow. And yeah, he's pretty good, but they all seem to be pretty good at at shooting a bow. And we noted before, that's the natural weapon of choice in the two rivers. They also, you know, when it's finally dark, they're all hunkered down having their meal. Mm -hmm. Tom will do a little entertaining before we settle in. Uh, Lan says he can't do anything loud, so there's no music. Doesn't get out and play anything or sing anything, but he can juggle. Juggling doesn't take much noise. Yeah, and he can tell his stories, at least
0: in more hushed tones, And honestly, this is a huge yet understated thing here, because for the first time in their lives, they are actually away from home. They are on the run. They are getting chased for their lives, and they have an element of simple fun and entertainment to keep their sanity and
1: morale up. Let's plow through real quick a few things that they do learn through the little experiences that happen along this journey. Absolutely. One is, yeah, one is when Rand is shocked to discover one morning Egwene unbraiding her hair. Oh, no. All her life, she's looked forward to braiding her hair, and that was that big event she got to do just the last day that they were there in Emmons Field. And now she's taking it out. What in the world? What's going on?
0: It seems pretty instantly clear, at least to us as a reader. Egwene was emulating the powerful woman in the Two Rivers. Now she has a new powerful woman to
1: emulate. And Moraine doesn't keep her hair braided. Well, and rand he gets into a little argument with her about it. And she's very blunt about it. I want to be an Aes Sedai. And I said I don't braid their hair. So pfft, I'm done with that. He's like, you are shaking the dust off your feet of Emmons Field awfully fast. They get pretty heated. They get pretty loud.
0: She makes it a little clear that Rand never understood that she didn't want to stay.
1: Other things that we learn, we're provided more information on what the the boys are thinking. They have a couple of days into the journey, and there's been no Trollocs, no Mergeral, no drakar They start talking about, you know, maybe we ditched the Shadowspawn. Maybe we're safe now. Maybe we don't have to go to Tarvalon. We could just go back, maybe. We could go home. Oh, they don't even talk about that right away, though. They're out. They have a little sense of adventure, too. They start talking about the other things maybe they could go and see and do before they go home. There's, you know, Ilion. There's all the various places they learned about in stories that they might go explore.
0: They know nothing about them or where they are, but, but they they've heard they're cool
1: places. And Moraine comes upon them when they're having this conversation, and she loses it. As much as we see so far. She loses her cool. She gives them a little bit of a tongue lashing. Now, it's not like she's shouting at them. She's way too cool a character for that. But she says something really shocking. She points out, you guys think you're safe because you have a couple, couple of peaceful days. The Dark One wants you. He's not going to let go of you. And if the Dark One wants you, I'm committed to make sure the Dark One can't have you. Before I let the Dark One get you, I will destroy you myself. Oh, Mic drop.
0: It's not a um, half-assed comment of just, you know, I will do anything in my power to keep you from being in the dark. No, it's a, I will murder you.
1: Mm -hmm. And we've mentioned before, I believe, that Aes Sedai never lie. I think so. Maybe we didn't bring it up, but I'm going to say right now. If we haven't, we have now. They actually are unable to lie. So when she says that, they know. Uh, that's, That's truth. She's not just she blowing smoke.
0: absolutely willing to kill them.
1: Yes. So that's real easy to get to sleep <laughs> after hearing that one. Uh-huh. Uh, other little tidbits they pick up in various conversations is that the one power may be used in a variety of different ways. I, Sedai, refer, and ugh, Robert Jordan, this was clear as mud, that the one power is talked about as five powers. <laughs> Yay. Earth power, fire power, wind power, water power, spirit power. When you are using the one power, you're taking these five different powers and sometimes using them, just one of them, or weaving different ones together to create something as an amalgamation of the various powers. And that most Aes Sedai are naturally stronger in one or two of these powers. A very rare number over the thousands of years have been powerful in all five. But that's just not normal.
0: No, it's usually something that you have an affinity for something.
1: Correct. Affinity. Good word. Women are more naturally gifted in... Wind and
0: water. Right. Is it wind or air? Uh, let me check my notes. Squeeze of air, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Your notes say wind. Wind and water. I'm pretty sure it's air.
1: No, I'm pretty sure I took it straight out of the book, my friend.
0: <laughs> like i'm I'm willing to go with you on that i'm just sitting here going no when they talk about rap- wrapping
1: people up in weaves of air i will double not check of wind. the text always go back to the source and i'm using the real hardcover now are hey, you happy? congrats um you get to the right page uh it's a new book so i can't say exactly how far bo- into the book i need to turn to find the right chapter here we go Earth, wind, fire, water, and spirit. Direct quote from Moraine. They might refer to it as air in other places, but she says wind.
0: At least in this time, she does say wind, which is strange because I I do still feel confident even though there it is wind, I'm pretty sure most of the rest of the books it's referred to as air.
1: But you know, you may be blending that from how these sorts of powers are often referred to in fantasy literature. It may be specifically wind in the wheel of time. We'll have to double check that, get our research team on it, and see what they can find out. So women, stronger in wind and water, men in earth and fire, all tend to be equally strong in the spirit, we learn. We also discover that Moraine had found the Emmons field had two women who could naturally use the one power. Egwene, of course, being one of them, but there's someone else. Egwene's like, what?
0: And Moraine doesn't tell us who it is.
1: Kind of like, oh, uh, forget I said that. She's on a different path. Never mind. Egwene has an opinion that Aes Sedai is just such a wonderful, marvelous thing, and Moraine drops some information of, no, not so much. Aes
0: Sedai are just people.
1: Yeah, they're just, just women like any other women. You know, in just regular modern day people groupings. She's telling Egwene, you have Mm -hmm. some women who are awesome and some women who suck.
0: They're good. They're bad. They're petty. They're prejudiced. They're amazing and moral. And
1: some will give you the shirt off their back and some will steal anything they can from you. Exactly. All those people become Aes Sedai as well. And becoming an Aes Sedai does not magically make you a wonderful and gracious person.
0: No. on the other side, it also doesn't make you a horrible
1: witch. Nope. Nope. But whatever kind of person you were before you developed your affinity to the one power, you're still that kind of person, unfortunately. Okay, finally after these days, they arrive at Berlan. The Emmonsfielders are like, Whoa, what a city! We had no idea so many people could live in one place! And Tom practically falls off his horse laughing.
0: This isn't a
1: city. It's still just a town. The town of Berlan. Yes, it's larger than anything in the two rivers. I mean, it even has a wall.
0: But it's a wall of wooden spikes. Yeah, just not wooden logs. Else. You know.
1: There were no walls in the two rivers, so that's a brand new thing. It's a classic mining town. The uh, Moraine notes, as we're going to go into this town, this is a place you know where we are known, but not as ourselves. The people of Berlan. They don't like anything to do with evil or power or anything. So they want Aes Sedai around. And don't be talking about Trollocs or half Men or the Dark One. And really, just
0: don't talk about that stuff ever. It'll probably get you in trouble.
1: <laughs> so as we go in, let's keep a low profile. And here's our fake names. They go around to one of the gates into the city. The gate's already closed for the day. Bam, bam, bam. Let us in. And the gatekeeper clearly doesn't want to... You know, a town like this will usually close its gates at night, but it's not night when they show up. It's just late in the day. So let us in. And the gatekeeper, when he sees who it is... Oh, oh, yeah, 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 sorry, no problem. Come on in, opens up the gate. And it's clear then, oh, we kind of have an arrangement because Land slips him a coin. You don't have to pay to get into these gates.
0: No, but there's more bribing and giving money.
1: Yeah, we are greasing some palm here. Discretion is being purchased, I believe. Sure. This guy also shares a little gossip. Tells us some things about the world. A
0: lot of it is stuff that we already know, but there's a couple things here, especially in the town of Berlon, that we do learn. Mm -hmm. First, the White Cloaks are here.
1: The Children of
0: the Light. This is where I've said in the past, you get a little bit more, what you get closer to a religious fanaticism in Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. A group dedicated to the idea of the light in a zealous way.
1: They are also dedicated to the fact that they are therefore purer and better than everyone else.
0: And they will not hesitate to say that anyone who disagrees with them must be disagreeing with them because they are against the light and therefore a dark friend.
1: They also have no love for Aes Sedai, deciding to paint the One Power as more than people should be having anything to do with. Therefore, if you're touching the One Power, you are evil. And burn the witch, as we said last episode. And I believe we talked briefly
0: in a previous episode about how that may even go back as far as Arthur uh, Hawkwing. Yes. Yes, we um, did. For the Which origins is when
1: of the that. White Cloaks were formed. They also hear gossip about a large battle that took place down in Gildan between the Aes Sedai and the dragon, and that the Aes Sedai apparently lost that battle. And, Uh-oh. Yeah. And they were all killed. Well, that's what the gossip is saying, at least. And the dragon, Loghain, that we've heard of before, thousands have flocked to his banner and are now being called the People of the Dragon. And they are on the march from Gildan to Tyr. Now, Rand's, like, asking Tom, so what's up with this People of the Dragon? I mean, what's going on? And and we get a reference from Tom from the Koreathon Cycle. Sure. I think that's how you say it. That works with me. Rand has heard of the Koreathon Cycle. It's translated as the prophecies of the dragon. So Tom shares that the, the cycle has a number of prophecies about the rebirth of the dragon, and that one of them is that a sign will be that the people of the dragon will conquer the Stone of Tear. First mention of the Stone of Tear we've had. It is the first fortress that was built by men after the breaking of the world, and it has never been conquered. Since and guess
0: what? Him. It's made of stone.
1: It is. And made in a way that can't be replicated. You look at it and we're like, how did they do this? It's one of the wonders of the world. There's also a prophecy in the Kreiathon cycle about the sword that cannot be touched, that the Stone of Tear will not fall until the sword that cannot be touched is wielded by the dragon. Tom doesn't know much about that sword other than it's stored inside the Stone of Tear. So, and then
0: hmm. we leave that part of what we're talking about and won't revisit it for another two books. That's
1: correct. But this is called foreshadowing. <laughs> that's important information, people. It makes no sense yet, but trust us. Keep it in your brain. This is going to become relevant again.
0: And so they head off into Bear Lawn towards the Stag
1: and Lion Inn. That's their destination. The group doesn't know that. They're just following where Lan and Marine go, but that's where they stop. The stag and lion. Innkeeper there happily welcomes them. They clearly are known by the innkeeper.
0: At least by their fake names.
1: Yeah, happy to note that he is what sort of innkeeper? He's fat. Yes, he is. In a
0: very pleasant way.
1: Must be a good innkeeper.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> Pleasantly plump. And he instantly is a fan of all of these travelers because he welcomes them saying, I've got hot meals, hot baths, and warm beds ready for you. Yes, after a week on the road, woohoo! And that's where we'll end today. Hope you've enjoyed staying up with us here as we've journeyed through another section of our book. If you are enjoying what we're talking about, please subscribe. And even better, you could go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review us.
0: Let us know what you think in a way that uh, others can see
1: as well. That's right. We're just uh, we're we're continuing to have our fun talking about the stuff we love, but if it can be spread to others so they can enjoy the journey with us, the more the better. If you are trying to read and keep up with us, you know, if you're a first-time reader or you're just rereading and you want to keep pace and be fresh, next Sunday, the episode will focus on chapters 14, 15, and 16.
0: Until then, if you'd like to join in with the discussion with us, you can find us on our various social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, or even our Patreon page.
1: And... Again, email us directly anytime. Your thoughts, your ideas, your feedback, that's all available.
0: Sorry, all of those found at Fantasy for the Ages. Um, I've got nothing else.
1: Yep, me neither. I'll remind you all, little bonus coming up midweek. Watch for our episode, our unique one-off, talking about the villains of the various fantasy genres. We're excited to have some fun with that. Until you hear that, though, we'll leave you now and say, as usual...